Welcome to Scary Savannah and Beyond. This is going to be episode number 31. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot of numbers. That's a lot of numbers. Getting up there in age. Getting at least old. the podcast well, I is. like the 30s. 40s, not so much. I like the style of the 30s. Mm-hmm. Maybe not my 30s, but the <laughs> 1930s possibly. Yeah. Maybe that's why I'm dressed this way. Except this 20s. It could have something to do with something we're talking about today. Maybe. Possibly. You weren't even going to ask about the outfit. No, this is just how you dress on <laughs> Tuesdays, right? Usually. So, go find our giveaway on our webpage. We're giving away merch every single month. And all you have to do is go to the giveaway tab on our website, which is scarysavannahandbeyond.com, and follow the easy instructions, and you too can win either a coffee mug like this one, or the one Crystal has, or a t-shirt with the Scary Savannah and Beyond logo on it. Please also go to our webpage. There's a tab for reviews. We would greatly appreciate you to go there and leave us a review of the five-star variety. Yes, only five stars, please. It links to every potential place you can leave a review, so it's very easy to do, and we would appreciate anyone that would take the time to do that. You don't know how much that means to us. Brett likes stars. I like lots of stars. Like when you're a kid, remember you get those little stars, little stickers. I didn't ever get stars. You didn't just buy some just to stick on stuff? No. Really? I just thought they came from teachers. Well, they did, but you could also buy them. What was really exciting is when you didn't get gold stars. You got like red yeah, stars like red and, and blue and, green. and silver. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, that like variety pack. Yeah, I didn't get I those. I used to get those and stick them on stuff and give myself awards. Okay, safety patrol. <laughs> I was on safety patrol. Thank you. Yes, you were. I enjoyed it. So, Crystal, how have you been this week? I've been really good. We had family visiting for Memorial Day. Yes, we did. We got to hit up Bingo on Friday night. Four of us won money. That's right. That's a record. They were hating on us by the time we were done. Yeah, they're like, you know, how y'all keep calling Bingo at this table? And I'm sitting there sliding like a $5 bill to the (laughs) Bingo guy. I might just make sure don't nobody understand what's going on here and we all be copacetic. And we got to spend some time at the beach, played some ladder ball. Got very sunburned. Got some sunburn. We got a giant Jenga game, which we found out is a very dangerous sport. Two of us got injured. Jenga is like a full contact sport. Yeah, who knew? Except it's not two people attacking each other. It's a person trying to survive the (laughs) Jenga fall. Yeah, our future son-in-law got a black eye, basically. Yes, and Crystal got got a blister somehow. I I got hit. Like a know. friction burn. Yeah, I don't even know how this happened. Because it's the giant Jenga. These blocks giant. are basically about this large, and uh, they're very dangerous, apparently. It is. So you got to be careful. <laughs> I'm scared for our next game. When you buy a big Jenga kit, make sure that you read all the warnings because it's incredibly dangerous. It is. Only for the most brave of heart, it turns out. I also got to go do jury duty. Oh, yeah. You had a fun day. I did. I was going to go to the Superior Court and be on a criminal case and spent the whole day there. And it turns out the guy ended up, or girl, I don't know what, ended up taking a plea bargain. So my services were not required. That's too bad because it could have made for a good story eventually once you were allowed to talk about it. I could have literally talked about an actual true crime case I was involved in. But with my luck, it would have been one of those ones that drags out for three years. It's you like, lose oh, your job. <laughs> it's the Savannah Butcher too, And then I would have to be sequestered and they'd hold me up in a hotel somewhere in like the outskirts of the city. You'd never be heard from again. I'd have to change my name, grow a beard. 
Shave, shave it, it off. So this week we're going back to Savannah and we're talking about one of Savannah's favorite topics. Alcohol. alcohol. Well, spirits. Spirits. Well, that's two things that are one and the same sometimes. Yes. In Savannah, they usually are. If you're ever downtown, you will notice an abundance of bars, and there are usually a number of bachelorette parties staggering through the streets. And what is it with this new trend where all of them have these stickers or stuff saying, buy the bride to be a drink? Yeah, the Venmo. Yeah. They put up all these stickers saying, hey, she ain't quite drunk enough yet. Yeah. She's still on two feet. Yeah. Buy her another Unless drink. she's riding one of those bikes. You know, those like pedal, party, cars. pedal car things where there's like 10 people pedaling a bike for some reason. What is reason. that we call those? The drunk mobiles? Drunk mobiles. <laughs> the liquor sickles. Yeah, so you'll see that out there. Open carry alcohol is allowed in the historic district. So if you don't finish your beer at the bar, you can put it in a plastic to-go cup and wander the streets. Well, actually, they're aluminum now. Oh, are they? Most of them. Really? They're far more environmentally friendly, apparently, according okay. to the city of Savannah. That makes sense. Savannah certainly loves a good time, as we've talked about before, but there was a period of time in the United States where alcohol was actually illegal, even in Savannah. Unbelievable. Which, as you can imagine, didn't go over too well. Something you'll find downtown in Savannah that's unexpected is the country's only prohibition museum. The only prohibition it museum? It is. I did not know that. Located in the city market, we visited recently and we were very impressed with this place. They went above and beyond to explain the movement as a whole from both sides. They even have their very own speakeasy where we sampled a couple of really good drinks. I can't remember the name of them, but we're going to show you a picture. Do you remember the name of them? Corpse. Oh, yeah. Razor number two. Yeah, corpse something. See, the thing was they handed you these menus when you yeah. walked up and you were about to get your drinks if you were one of the wets. Yeah. Which we'll tell you what that which means, means in a minute. Which means you paid more money. It, it basically means you pay more money <laughs> then and now. And on the list, there are a bunch of drinks you could choose from to have at the bar. Corpse Reviver. Corpse Reviver. That was it. Number two. Number two. They said one wasn't good. Well, I asked her. I said, yeah. well, what was wrong with number one? Is it too much? And she's like, no, it just didn't taste very good. So we went with recipe number two. And I was like, well, I almost want number one just because it's forbidden from the menu. It wasn't an option. It was not. Our delightful guide, Hannah was very knowledgeable, and we're going to share with you what we learned. So let's learn a little history for those of us who've been out of school for a while. Or for those of us who didn't pay attention in school in the when they time, were there. Yeah. In the mid to late 1800s through the early 1900s, society operated quite differently than we're used to today. Women had very little rights. They had no right to vote, no right to own property. And it was very hard for women to be granted a divorce, even if her husband was a drunk, abusive alcoholic they also had very few avenues for supporting themselves which doesn't make for a good combination no at this time in the united states alcohol was seen as a huge problem it's estimated that people were consuming seven gallons of pure alcohol a year that's roughly 90 bottles of whiskey per person that's a lot of alcohol and this is just the average so some people were consuming more than that that's, i would not have thought that, that. is a lot and it was like really strong too. Well, maybe that's why we needed prohibition. This was causing huge problems. Men were responsible for taking care of their wives and children and sometimes their mothers, mothers-in-law, or even their own sisters if they were unmarried. The problem was a lot of men weren't providing for their families, but rather spending their money in saloons. Sounds nothing like a man. 
it's like they could go there and it was kind of like a hangout. You know, they could, they said, get your check cashed here and then spend it. So it was very convenient. This caused a breakdown in families as well as caused men to die from alcohol related illnesses like cirrhosis, heart problems, all kinds of things. I'm sure there are other side results of alcohol that not, are not necessarily diseases that cause shorter lifespans oh, yeah. as well. Bar fights. <laughs> this left women with little recourse. Hence, the Christian women's temperance movement was born. That's right. Women banded together and called for all alcohol to be banned. This terrible disease that you and others distill has been ruining lives for many centuries. Alcohol has done nothing but but bring an untimely death to thousands of our fellow citizens. The number is too high to bear, exceeding all those destroyed by war, pestilence, fire, flood, and famine combined. Alcoholism was likened to a form of slavery rather than a personal health issue that we attribute it to today. The women would band together and block the doors of the saloons They would pray and sing hymns. Some even dared to go inside and beg the bartenders not to serve their drunk husbands. I'm assuming when they banded together and blocked the door of the saloons, they probably didn't dress like you. No, this gave way to that. Yeah. There's something about that coming up, isn't there? One of the quotes I saw at the Prohibition Museum was by F. Scott Fitzgerald. He said, first you take a drink, then the drink takes a drink. Then the drink takes you. That's, uh, I believe, the truest statement about alcohol I've ever seen. It is. But I'm not sure that prohibition was the solution. Because whenever you tell someone they can't do something, their first instinct is to do just that. People always seem to find a way around laws, the ones especially they find unjust. Way back in 1840, during a speech at the Illinois House of Representatives, where Abraham Lincoln was then a congressman, he argued... Prohibition will work great injury to the cause of temperance. It is a species of intemperance within itself, for it goes beyond the bounds of reason in that it attempts to control a man's appetite by legislation and make a crime out of things that are not crimes. What a wise man. Yeah. Prohibitionists found more surprising champions in captains of industry, such as Henry Ford, who hoped such measures, like prohibiting alcohol, would improve productivity of his labor force. Somebody's got to make those cars. That's true. They didn't have all those uh, assembly lines with machines and robots and such yeah. back then. Well, I imagine they had, well, he invented assembly lines, didn't he? Yeah. This is at the beginning. Uh, this is, you know, in 19- Industrial Revolution. Yeah. 1921 is when he first made the first Model T, I believe. So terminology back then was wet versus dry. If you were a wet, you supported alcohol and the right to produce, buy, and consume alcohol on an individual basis. Dry refers to those who oppose alcohol and think it should be illegal. The Christian women's temperance movement starts out slow, but eventually gains momentum and gets the attention of a man named Wayne Wheeler. He's dubbed the father of prohibition. What a name. He sounds like he'd be a good salesman pitching something. He gets together with some other influential men and forms the Anti-Saloon League. Wayne Wheeler didn't really care about all the intentions of prohibition, but rather the power to be gained by taking it on. That's a sharp turn I never saw coming. He is quoted as saying, I don't care how a man drinks, I care how he votes. Like a true politician. He becomes instrumental in getting men elected that support prohibition. He's not a politician, he's a lawyer, but he he wants this thing to go because he wants to be influential. 
He wants to be People the man know his name. Yeah. with the plan yeah. that tells the other men what to do. So one of the women during the time that had quite an impact was a woman named Carrie Nation, sometimes referred to as Hatchet Granny. Man, I want a Hatchet Granny jersey. <laughs> she was an imposing figure at nearly six feet tall. She believed that she had a revelation from God in 1900 and set out to rid the country of alcohol. She described herself as a bulldog running along at the feet of Jesus, barking at what he doesn't like. She would enter saloons, greeting bartenders with pointed remarks such as, Good morning, destroyer of men's souls. (laughs) I love her. At first, she took rocks and proceeded to destroy liquor bottles and such, but eventually took up a hatchet. I guess that was more effective. She probably figured that motion pictures were going to be coming a thing at some point. And who throws rocks in a motion picture? You got to have a hatchet. Exactly. You ever seen them bust up a steel? They don't use rocks. She started this. They use hatchets. (laughs) She was arrested over 30 times, but little was done to her other than fines. Because what are they going to do to her? You know, She's an elderly lady with a hatchet. Yeah, but I saw what she looked like I in know. this museum, and I'll tell she, you why they didn't do stuff they to didn't her. didn't mess with her because she She'd was... She'd straight up beat them down with yeah. a hatchet. <laughs> she financed her endeavors by hitting the lecture circuit and selling souvenirs such as small hatchet pins. Engraved on the handle of the hatchets were the words, Death to Rum. She probably had that tattooed across her knuckles, too. <laughs> she I probably didn't did. look at the figure in the museum, but I just know that it had to be there. She probably did. She was against corsets, by Death the way. Death, too. And I ain't going to tell you where Rome was tattooed. Her encounters garnered lots of attention, and they became known as hatchetations. It began to have the opposite effect she was hoping for, though. As the word got out, more and more people just started showing up to these saloons just to see if she would show up and smash everything with her hatchet. So it's sort of like... Old school UFC fights. It's like everybody's like, if she's going to show up, it's going to be like back in wrestling when, you know, when Goldberg would show up and everybody's looking for him to come in and spear somebody. So she's coming in to spear the bartender. She eventually took her act to vaudeville where she had a bar set up on the stage and she would smash the set with her hatchet for the delight of audiences. She's a sellout. She's probably (laughs) drinking behind stage before she came out. She just turned to the dark side of the force. With proponents on both sides, the issue of prohibition pushed forward, and before the 18th Amendment to the Constitution, sometimes referred to as the Volstead Act, made it it illegal nationwide to produce and distribute alcohol from 1920 to 1933, some states enacted their own laws to combat the problem. The state of Maine was the first state to go dry in the mid-1800s. At first, these laws were state laws, and they were able to be repealed fairly easily, but in 1881, Kansas was the first to write it into their state constitution, making it much harder to reverse. Kansas was dry for 67 years, from 1881 to 1948, making it the longest state to go dry. I never would have thought that. That's, uh, I would have thought it would have been one of these East Coast Southern states. Just happened to be where Cary Nation was at, Kansas. Wow. Little did they know they were giving birth to the first woman superhero. (laughs) Mississippi was dry until 1966. That's the latest, the last one to come back. I would have thought Mississippi probably would have been one of the ones that carried over. Georgia went dry in 1908 before the nationwide prohibition went into effect. This obviously included Savannah. However, this was not the first time Savannah had faced the issue of prohibition. In fact, the very first act of prohibition of alcohol in the United States had been issued in the city of Savannah, In 1735, all strong drink as well as slavery and for a time, lawyers Lawyers. were all illegal in Georgia. What a time to be alive. 
So I'm going to let you read this. Uh, this is a proclamation from a proclamation from his majesty king george ii to general james oglethorpe founder of the colony of georgia so i'll try to read this as best i can in my kingly voice as if he had said this as he was writing it okay whereas it is found by experience that the use of liquors called rum and brandy in the province of georgia are more particularly hurtful and pernicious to man's body and have been attended with dangerous maladies and fatal distempers. No rum or brandy, nor any other kind of spirits or strong waters, by whatsoever name they are or may be distinguished, shall be imported or brought to shore. His Royal Majesty King George II. That was epic. Thank you. And this decree, you can actually find it on the wall right outside the Prohibition Museum. I didn't notice that. Yeah, it was right there. I have As a of Oglethorpe it. was reading this, I'm sure there were people down there just drinking rum and brandy. Well, notice how they said, you know, whatever name you want to call it, like you can't just change its name to ah, something else. This is not rum nor brandy. But notice a loophole here. It says it may not be imported or brought to shore. It doesn't say you can't drink it. Yes, that's so true. So if it's already there and you didn't bring it in. Well, you know, I <laughs> mean, I shouldn't have this, but I do. And I didn't <laughs> Can't import it. Can't tell you it. where I got it. <laughs> it did not be brought on these, these shores by me. No. The decree didn't last, though. It was repealed seven years later as Savannah grew and became increasingly enthralled with alcohol and the party lifestyle. So in 1907, when the state of Georgia enacted this new prohibition law, Savannah was so outraged they considered seceding from the state of Georgia and forming their own state of Chatham. This never ended up happening, though. It was going to be really expensive and a whole thing. It's literally the only reason it didn't happen is because it was expensive. Yeah, so they decided instead to just be covert about it and keep their alcohol business on the down low. Like good Southern ladies and gentlemen. In true Southern fashion, liquor enterprises sprung up in Savannah without the excess violence that ended up plaguing larger cities like Chicago and New York. Because we're real friendly down here. Good old boys, such as the Hars, bought a large boat and would make trips to the Caribbean, stock up on booze, anchor three miles off the shore of Georgia, then use a fleet of speedboats to take the goods back into Savannah. These boats would easily outmaneuver the Coast Guard through the marshes. Savannah became known as the Spigot of the South. That'd make a good t-shirt. Yeah. At one point, the Hars were raided and over $75,000 was confiscated. So In they the were, 1920s. They were making the money. Wow. This does not stop the flow of alcohol into Savannah and the rest of the country, however. One man who was very outspoken was the dry preacher, Billy Sunday. Billy was a former Major League Baseball player for the Philadelphia Phillies and turned preacher. Here's a clip from one of his sermons about alcohol. A preacher or a high school girl has the same effect as when it's sold to an automobile thief or a horse thief. Congress has passed a law putting $2 a tax on whiskey and expect to realize $300 million. That means that the American people have got to buy and drink 150 million gallons a year. They have put $5 a a barrel tax on beer. That means the people have got to buy and drink 32 million barrels of beer a year. It doesn't take a lawyer to figure out that if you do that, you take that much money out of the legitimate channels of trade. You spend that much less for food and clothes and boots and shoes and education and automobiles. Oh, America didn't need repeal. She needed repentance. 
She didn't need wrong. She needed righteousness. We don't need jags. We need Jesus. We don't need more God. We need more of God. So, yeah, he was not a fan of alcohol. And as you can imagine, he was not a fan of Savannah and their drinking yeah. ways. He definitely thought very lowly of the city of Savannah. He held a tent revival in Forsyth Park and declared that Savannah was the wickedest city in the world. And little did he know that was probably going to be put on T-shirts the very <laughs> next day. I think it's a bit dramatic, but he did have good reasons. As speakeasies sprung up all over the country, New York alone was said to have 30,000 to 100,000 of them. Savannah had its own clandestine ways of obtaining alcohol. I bet it was much more low-key. Yeah. One way was by joining the Savannah Yacht Club. Members would have their own private locker that alcohol would be placed in. Remember, consuming alcohol was not illegal. Selling it was. Producing, selling, bringing it. So every month, members of the club would pay dues. Well, you got to pay dues to be in a yacht club. It just so happened to equal the amount of alcohol they consumed, but these were dues, and so this was their loophole. They Man, were not paying for yeah, alcohol. They were not paying for it alcohol. It just shows up in the locker. Another innovative tactic was this. People would advertise things called a blind pig. What in the world could that possibly be? <laughs> they would advertise that you could come see a blind pig. You purchase a <laughs> ticket to see the blind pig and get a free alcoholic beverage. Technically, they're not selling alcohol. They're selling you a ticket to see a blind pig. I just pig. want to know, was there a blind pig? I hope so. Johnny Harris's restaurant on Victory was a place you could get a drink. Green Speakeasy was located on the marsh, and you could boat right up to it and order a drink and then take off. Just take off. Yeah. A man named Wolf Silver ran Bo Peep's Billiards in Johnson Square. There's actually a book about his life and his encounters called Bo Peep's This Ain't No Fairy Tale. That's an interesting I know. Title. I just found it today. It looks like a really interesting book. He had a really interesting life. He had a the restaurant bar down there for 26 years, it said. Wow. We should check that yeah, out. Yeah, so I definitely want to read that. Crystal Beer Parlor, which is the oldest continually running restaurant in Savannah, was another secret watering hole. We've been there a few times. We have, but I'm sure it wasn't called Crystal Beer Parlor at the time because that name might have given it away. I uh, read that Savannah was going to host some sort of race or something like that, but the organizers were concerned because they couldn't provide alcohol. Savannah was like, yeah, don't worry about that. We have our ways. One man asked a local where he could get a drink. The local pointed to one church and then to another. And the man said, I can get a drink at church. And the local said, no, that's the only place you can't get a drink. <laughs> and I'm sure that was probably close to the truth. By close, you mean it was the literal truth. Yeah. I read in the book, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, the account of an older lady who recounted that back during Prohibition, you could go to the gas station and one of the pumps would dispense liquor instead of gas. Man, that'd be a problem if you went to the wrong, the wrong pump. one. <laughs> were they drinking it right out of the pump or were they just filling up bottles? I think you fill up, up bottles? your bottles. So were you just, did you test it first? Did you be like, <laughs> just got to get a sample. Because, I mean, if you got that whole container of gasoline and serve it at your fancy function <laughs> and everybody's drinking up gasoline, I mean, that could... You know, we know how we have problems with fires. Here. Yeah, that might be the problem. <laughs> Turns out the gas station was the problem all through the 17, 18, and 1900 centuries. The police and government of Savannah had the tendency to look the other way when it came to such matters. Probably because they were partaking of it as I'm well. I'm sure it was profitable for all involved. 
It seems whenever a raid was planned, the bootleggers would somehow be tipped off. Funny how that happens. I don't even know how it could have leaked. Bootlegging became huge in Savannah with ties to Bugs Moran and Al Capone. Those are my good buddies. Yeah, I got a picture of you with them. The federal government decided to get involved eventually, and they staged their own raid in 1923. They planned it meticulously, having agents slowly check in and set up at the DeSoto Hotel in downtown Savannah so as not to arouse suspicion. They made sure not to tell any of the local authorities. What I don't understand about that is, though, everyone around here that's a local, even back then, knew if you were local. Everyone knows each other here, all the old-timer people. And this is before all the tourism yeah. happened. So how'd they not sniff this out? I don't know, but they didn't because they came in, like, one at a time. They didn't arouse suspicion. Because you know you ain't a Savannian unless your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother died here. Yeah. <laughs> So the DeSoto Hotel is still in the same place downtown. We saw it the other day, got a couple of pictures. And at the DeSoto, they had a room set up just for writing warrants so they could expedite the process when the time came. And on August 16th, 1923, the raid was carried out with 84 indictments that day alone, with another 40 or more to come, making it the largest federal raid in the country. That is uh, another interesting distinction for us to hold I for know. the city of Savannah. Prohibition in Georgia lasted until 1935, two years after the 23rd Amendment to the Constitution repealed the Volstead Act. So the 18th Amendment that made it illegal to produce and sell alcohol on a nationwide basis lasted from 1920 to 1933. The day before the law went into effect, people bought up as much alcohol as they could and stored it up. When cops would confiscate illegal barrels of alcohol, they would make a show of it by pouring it in the streets, which is where we get the term Whiskey River. And I thought it was just a Willie Nelson song. And that's like the name of at least several bars I've heard of, too. Yeah. Parents would send their kids into the streets with bowls, cups, ladles, whatever they had on hand, and have the kids scoop up whatever they could and bring it home. So the reason they sent their kids was because a cop is not likely to arrest a kid, so it's a win-win. I could just sort of see it as this old-timey stuff. It's like, what are you going to do, copper? <laughs> yeah. Because that's probably, I'll even though your this straw is Savannah, hat. it's like, we'll just beat up your straw hat. No, this wasn't Savannah. This is all over the country. Oh, okay. Well, then it We've probably moved is on to things that are happening, happening all over the country. All right. Now. Well, then this applies. Doctors, for the most part, were not fans of prohibition either. Alcohol was used for therapeutic purposes. Congress held hearings on the medicinal value of beer in 1921. Subsequently, physicians across the country lobbied for the repeal of prohibition as it applied to medicinal liquors. From 1921 to 1930, Doctors earned about $40 million for whiskey prescriptions. <laughs> yeah, yeah doctors, like if you're prescribing illicit drugs. Yeah. Which I guess is what this was at the time. It was. After just six months of prohibition, over 15,000 doctors and 57,000 pharmacists received licenses to prescribe or sell medicinal alcohol. So you can see where the money always was. It's per yearly medicinal, <laughs> doctor. According to Gastro Obscura, Physicians wrote an estimated 11 million prescriptions a year through the 1920s. One doctor who wrote 475 prescriptions for whiskey in one day. Wow. How do you see 475 people in a day? You don't. <laughs> it wasn't tough for people to write and fill counterfeit subscriptions at pharmacies either. Naturally, bootleggers bought prescription forms from crooked doctors and mounted widespread scams. Naturally. Naturally. 
1931, 400 pharmacists and 1,000 doctors were caught in a scam where doctors sold signed prescription forms to bootleggers. Just 12 of these 13 pharmacists were indicted, and the ones charged faced a one-time $50 fine. I'm sure they didn't make anywhere near that much selling the prescription, so right. they couldn't possibly have covered yeah, the fine. I think it was worth it. Selling alcohol through drugstores became so much of a lucrative open secret that it's name-checked in works such as The Great Gatsby. Historians speculate that Charles R. Walgreen, of Walgreens fame, expanded from 20 stores to a staggering 525 stores during the 1920s, thanks to medicinal alcohol sales. Smart businessman. Stores sold grape concentrate with warning labels that listed the steps that should be avoided to prevent the juice from fermenting into wine. We can't have this. We got to make sure we illustrate in detail how not to do it. Yeah, like they gave you by telling them exactly, exactly how, how to do it. not to do this. So yeah. people were making their own wine at home. Home distilled hard liquor was called bathtub gin in northern cities and moonshine down south. Gotta get you some shine. Home brewing good hard liquor was easier than brewing good beer. Since selling privately distilled alcohol was illegal and bypassed government taxation, law enforcement officers relentlessly pursued manufacturers. That was the key word taxation. Yes. In response, bootleggers modified their cars and trucks, enhanced their engines, suspensions, and made them faster. And eventually this led to NASCAR after Prohibition ended. It did. Yeah. They decided. We're from NASCAR Central. Yeah. They liked the, the souped up cars and they didn't have to outrun the law anymore. So they're like, we'll just outrun Police each other. For a different reason. So back when they were making moonshine, well, they still do today, but the three X's on a moonshine jug signified that its contents had been run through a still at least three times, resulting in almost 100% pure alcohol. I've always wondered why they had those on cartoons. Yeah, now you I know. never knew. The proof level of moonshine varies depending on the steel, but white lightning is typically between 150 and 170 proof, making it at least 75% alcohol by volume. That's more alcohol than that in like Everclear. A lot. Yes, that'll kill you. After only a few years of national prohibition, it was becoming evident that it wasn't working to curb the public's consumption of alcohol, nor was it lowering the crime rate. In large cities, the homicide rate per 100,000 people increased by 78%. Wow, that is a lot. Al Capone and his crime network brought in $100 million a year. The average industrial worker earned less than $1,000 a year, so you can see... How it's hurting the economy. Yes. And it's helping the mob. <laughs> More than 10,000 people died from drinking low quality moonshine because you can see how dangerous it would be. So even though they had good intentions, mm -hmm. it turns out that people are not going to stop doing what they want to do no matter what the law says. And then they would buy like pure ethanol and try to turn that into drinkable alcohol, but it wasn't. And yeah, it was bad. The Roaring Twenties proved that people as a whole wanted to drink and enjoy life in their own way. Women finally got the right to vote. They were the first generation of women to drive cars, get jobs outside their homes, and socialize with men in public. They were wearing flapper outfits and dancing the Charleston. What's a flapper outfit? Sort of like what I'm wearing, but it would have fringe at the bottom. I was being facetious, <laughs> but yes, that's exactly a flapper outfit. Sort of. You don't have the hat that they would wear, though. Didn't yeah, they, they have those? This. Oh, they wore that, too? Yeah. I thought they had those, like, floppy hats they would wear, too. No, that's what the It Girl wore. The It Girl. Clara Bow. 
Aren't you the it girl? (laughs) Economic urgency played a part in accelerating the advocacy for repeal. So all these people that had been for it realized it wasn't working. A lot of farmers who were for prohibition now wanted it repealed because they were having negative effects because they had no business business. buying the crops that were being used to generate the alcohol. Right. So before the Volstead Act, approximately 14% of federal, state, and local tax revenues were derived from alcohol. So you can see how that would hurt. And then, you know, when we're going into the the Great Depression, then they need the money even more. So it's a problem. So on March 22nd, 1933, President Franklin Roosevelt signed an amendment to the Volstead Act known as the Cullen-Harrison Act. Upon signing this act, Roosevelt remarked, I think this would be a good time for a beer. Oh, no, Roosevelt, he's turned (laughs) to the dark side. So the 18th Amendment was repealed on December 5th, 1933, when they ratified the 21st Amendment. After its repeal, some former supporters openly admitted failure. For example, John D. Rockefeller Jr. explained his view in a 1932 letter. When prohibition was introduced, I hope that it would be widely supported by public opinion And the day would soon come when the evil effects of alcohol would be recognized. I have slowly and reluctantly come to believe that this has not been the result. Instead, drinking has generally increased. The speakeasy has replaced the saloon. A vast army of lawbreakers has appeared. Many of our best citizens have openly ignored prohibition. Respect for the law has been greatly lessened. And crime has increased to a level never seen before. Sounds like a failure. (laughs) Yeah. So, like I said, the 21st Amendment overturned the 18th, and this is the only time that one amendment has been used to repeal another. It turned the power back over to the individual states to decide their own alcohol laws. Many states continued to be dry for many years after this. Like I said, Mississippi was dry until 1966. Many counties are still dry to this day. Clearly, this isn't the case in Chatham County, where the drinks flow freely and like those whiskey rivers once did. Altogether, this is an interesting period in history, and with all the violence and gang activity that sprouted up all over the country, there are bound to be some hauntings associated with the Prohibition era. Of course, it wouldn't be a Scary Savannah and Beyond episode if we didn't talk about the supposed hauntings of something. Yeah, well, it's not in Savannah, but we're going to talk about a few. That's why I said Beyond. So like she said, we got to talk about some paranormal association with the Prohibition era. And as she was doing her research, Crystal came up with some of the most haunted places in the city of Chicago, which is Mobster City. Yeah. And these sort of deal a little bit, maybe, with Prohibition. Like one of the places you can find there is Bachelor's Grove Cemetery. It's a pretty small one-acre cemetery that's located in Everton Woods and was originally a settler's burial ground but it has become known as one of the more haunted places in the world. Some of the stuff that they have said to have happened there are vanishing house. They have a vanishing house? Yeah, apparently. Wow. A woman in white, because what haunted location doesn't have a woman in white? Phantom black dogs and ghost lights, because everything haunted in a cemetery seems to have those. I would love to see a phantom black dog. It has the gangland history association with it, which I think probably pulls it to the Prohibition era. Mm -hmm. Some of the gangsters of that time were known to maybe dump a few bodies in the Waterfield quarry that was next to the cemetery. And that starts a... 
long line of potentials for cemetery hauntings. And supposedly you can still see ghosts of these gangsters climbing out of the cemetery site. Creepy. This next one doesn't sound like it would be haunted. The Holy Name Cathedral. But so the Holy Name Cathedral is a Roman Catholic cathedral that's located in Chicago. And it's still on its cornerstone has a bullet hole in it from a shootout in the street, which had resulted in the death of Chicago mobster Jaime Weiss. Wow. What a mobsterific name. That is a great name. Jaime had been trying to avenge the death of his gang's beloved leader, Dion O'Banion. Didn't work out. No, it doesn't seem to have. On October 11th, 1926, Weiss's vendetta ended in his own death at the hands of the rival Chicago gangsters. And you can see evidence of this at the site from the stray bullets that have actually caused these bullet holes in Mm. this cathedral. And another thing they say about that is that even though they've tried to repair it, they try to patch it, no matter what they try to do, they can't fix it and it's still stays that way really like you can't put mortar or anything in it, it just, no it just, just comes back it just comes back the way it was huh. and maybe that's the ghost of old Jaime maybe he's refusing to let it go and won't Everyone didn't remember him. Remember me. For perpetuity. Yeah. Probably the most famous prohibition error gang related incident was the St. Valentine's Day Massacre that occurred on February 14th, 1929. I think most people have heard of it. I think they even referenced that in Golden Girls. Seven men who were members of George Bugs Moran's Northside Gang were gunned down, and it was suspected that it was by rival. Al Capone, though it was never proven. So today, residents of the buildings that flank the site say that after a fresh snow, you can sometimes see the outline of seven bodies in the snow where the bodies fell that day. That sounds believable. And if there's a place that's going to have some sort of remnants yeah. of energy, it would seem like that would be would one of them. It seem like they could get a picture of this, though. I want to see this. This is another one of those things where you know it doesn't The camera actually. doesn't work. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Ghost mess it up. So that's going to bring us to the portion of our episode that we like to call, insert graphic here, What, what We're, we're watching. watching. So this week, I got to pick the movie again for some reason. And we wanted to do something that related to alcohol. Or bars, or prohibition. <laughs> you got one of those things. Or mama, <laughs> and trains. Okay. But since I couldn't find a movie that was a combination of those three main things, I went with a movie set in a bar because prohibition, you bars, it's set in a bar. We watched the 1996 horror action film From Dusk Till Dawn. I had actually seen this movie when I was in high school, shortly before I met Crystal. And I vaguely remembered that it took place in a bar. What I didn't remember was that it takes place in a strip club bar. I find it very hard to believe that young you didn't remember that. You found it hard to believe that young me was able to remember anything? No, but it seems like that would have been something you would remember it as does an 18 seem like year old. Something that would stick out to you. Yeah, because like we start watching this movie and I'm like, okay, this is okay. What is happening? You know, it starts out pretty serious. What is pretty serious up until the end? And it's still and sort then of serious. They get to this bar and I'm like, oh, then it just goes off for real. I see why you pick this. <laughs> it's not, not why for I children. It. It's no, this is definitely not a family movie. <laughs> 
because it is a film by Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. So I've only seen one of those before, and that was Pulp Fiction. And yeah, it's in that it's vein. very Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. This movie follows the Gecko Brothers, who have robbed a bank, killed some people, and are trying to make it to Mexico with their stolen money. George Clooney being one of these brothers. The it's worth watching brother. for that. And Quentin Tarantino plays the other brother. Yeah, he, he's crazy. Along the way, they take a few hostages and enlist their help to get to Mexico. They manage to make it there and are set to meet their handler in the morning. Cheech Marin. Cheech Marin <laughs> plays a few roles in this movie. He does. They decided to spend the night at the bar they were supposed to wait for him at, drinking and waiting until morning. And the bar says, from dusk till dawn. So that's mm-hmm. why Cheech, Cheech's character said, hey, that'd be a good place for you to be and for us to meet in the morning. Yeah. So things seem to be going good for them until they find out that the owners of the bar aren't what they seem to be. And when they show their true nature, things go south and get really violent really quickly. Which is why you liked it. It was amazing. You love like crazy violence. There's this one action hero guy that comes in, you know, yeah. I'm talking about the Vietnam, Vietnam guy. Vet. He was he was funny. Yeah. So Crystal, after watching this movie and me exposing you to it, and what is your dog treat rating on a scale of arbitrarily chosen one to 12 dog treats? This is hard because this is like, this one I'm, I'm like, just, I'm not sure about. I would probably give it an eight out of 12. But the weird thing is, based on the movie, I would not have been shocked if you gave it a four. Yeah, I could. Or, you know, I don't know. Or I'd give it an eight. I could give it a four. It's like or sometimes an eight. when you look at an outfit, and you're like, I either love it or I hate yeah, it. Like, There's no I, in between. Do I, do I love it? Do I hate it? Do I like fat or not? I don't know. So I, I, I don't so know. So it's an eight? I'll give it an eight. And it has a good story premise. Like, yeah, they got to get out to Mexico. I don't understand why they had to take the hostages all the way. Like once they got past the border, they could have let them go, but then it wouldn't have made for. You it's know. called plot armor. Yeah, I, I know, but it bothered me when they got there. Like, oh no, you got to go into the bar and stay with us all night. And it's like a father and two teenagers, so they're not supposed to be in the bar in the first place. That's Mexico. Apparently, everything goes at this bar. Only if you're a truck driver, apparently. Truck driver <laughs> or a motorcyclist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was uh, interesting. It was uh, a lot. It was violent. A lot of language. Okay. A lot of nudity. Yeah, unfortunately. Which I was not expecting from you. I wasn't expecting it either until they pulled up and you see the name of the bar, which I'm not even going to say on the episode. (laughs) Your mother's watching. She may be. uh, Mom, Mom, do not watch this. this. It'll make you uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm so shocked. I never saw this movie. I didn't remember it. Yeah. I was 16 when it came out. So. Although this is from the girl who watched Revenge of the Nerds when she was six. I did, but. Multiple times. I did, but I think a lot of it went over my head at six. So. How does full frontal male nudity go over There's your no head? There's no male nudity. I thought there was. No. That was that other movie you watched. That was Porky's. Yeah, okay. Porky's is really bad. Which I haven't watched. Don't watch Porky's. I'm playing on it. <laughs> so, my review on this movie is, I'm going to give it a 9 out of 12. Always one up in me. I was going to give it a 9 anyway. Okay. I'm going to start giving my reviews before you do. Okay. And we'll see what we'll happens. See. I... Love George Clooney in this movie. He plays the main character, and he does a really good job with it. Quentin Tarantino plays his brother, and he's a psychopath in this movie. That's why I give it such a high rating is because they both were great actors in this movie. Yeah, and 
the woman that played the daughter, Juliet Lewis. Juliet Lewis, didn't give a great performance in this movie. The other actors weren't that great. Uh, there were a few small bit actors that were hilarious. Mm-hmm. Cheech played three roles yeah. in this movie, and each one of the three were hilarious. Yeah. The pace of the story is really good. The premise is interesting, even though it does have, like, why does he need these hostages mm-hmm. once he gets past a certain point? I mean, it makes sense up to a certain point, yeah. but then he's like, why does he want them there? I guess, like she said, it's it's just plot armor, but it still makes the story interesting because where this story goes, it basically turns into... It goes off the rails. It goes off the rails, and you see why they have all these people because they have to have them to make it do what the story does. Yeah. and. Don't expect a lot out of it. It's not meant to be a deep thinking movie. But it was entertaining enough that I didn't even check the runtime. Yeah, it was an hour and 48 minutes. Was it? It was. And you watched it and didn't even notice. I didn't. That's 20 minutes longer than you usually accept. I really thought it was more like two hours and I was impressed with myself for making it that far. Well, I'm impressed that you made it. Did you say an hour and 48 minutes or 148 minutes? An hour and 48 minutes. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That's why I give it eight. So I personally would recommend this movie, but not if you have children and not if you don't like nudity, which I didn't watch it for the nudity. I watched it for the mm-hmm. thing I ain't going to tell you about because I don't want to give away what happens in the bar and what these owners actually are because mm-hmm. it's a big part of the story that just sort of jumps up and you don't see it coming. So that brings us to the portion of the show that we like to call Layla, Layla and, and Coffee, Coffee Talk. Talk. So once again, I need you to tell me what these beasts have done. So when we visited the Prohibition Museum the other day, we stopped in at the Wolfgang Bakery. Yeah, the Wolfgang Bakery. W-O-O-F. And we got the girls a pig snout. Yes, it's thoroughly disgusting. Yeah, actual pig snouts. And they loved it. It was the best day of their life. Pretty much. It was until the next day when they got their bark box. And I was a little disappointed because I thought it was going to be Star Wars themed, but it wasn't. I was a, I really wanted a lightsaber and I didn't get one. They weren't disappointed though. It was ice cream themed. But that's not the coolest part. Yeah. One of them, which is Layla's, was an ice cream cone. And once you tore into the top part, the cone it of the ice cream, it was a ball inside. A spiky blue ball. Yeah, and her favorite thing to do is to carry it around and keep it safe from coffee. No, she don't want to play with it. No, she won't play with it. She just does not want coffee to have it. That's the fun part for her Mm -hmm. is for coffee not to have access to it. Right, if you get near it, she growls. So she loved it. That's amazing that these beasts are so good to each other. They they love each other. They do. And they had a, a really exciting time with the family in town. They got to eat all kinds of extras because everybody loves to get Probably more so than we even know about when yeah, we weren't in the room. I'm sure the granddaddy was slotting them some extras. It's probably why coffee threw up today because she's been so overfed for four or five days now. And what is so kind of her to not only throw up in the floor, but apparently knock a pillow down on it so you wouldn't see it till you picked the yeah, pillow up. Yeah, and like I went to pick the pillow up and touched my pants with it. Got throw up on my pants. And you know how I don't deal well with throw up in any capacity, children or... You don't deal well with any bodily No, fluids. I can't. I can't do it. You yes. do it. So I had to clean so it up like a man. That you can handle it because I cannot. And so it grossed me out all over my pants and all over the pillow. But if she had a huge pimple on her and need uh, popping, then yeah, at least see, you'd be there. That doesn't make any sense to me, but yeah. No. Yeah, that is... Far more disgusting. Yeah, so they've had a very busy, exciting, disgusting week. You can find us online at scarysavannahandbeyond.com. You can also find us on all social media platforms. Just look for the user at Scary Savannah. 
please go on our website and click the tab for reviews and go leave us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice. We really genuinely appreciate anyone that can take the time to do that because we like to get feedback and have everyone let us know if you are enjoying our content and that means a lot to us if you could do that for us. You can also enter our free merchandise giveaway once a month, first episode of the month. We're giving away either your choice of one of these original logo coffee mugs or the Layla and Coffee Talk coffee mug or a t-shirt in your choice of size and color. All you have to do is go to our website, click on the giveaway tab and follow the easy instructions and you can be entered to win a free shirt. And also, if you go and leave us a review on one of our one of the ways you can leave a review through our page, send us information through our contact tab on the page and let us know you left us a five-star review and we'll mail you some free stickers right away as long as it's a five-star review. <laughs> and I've got people that will take care of that uh, logistically mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. They're very pretty You people. take care of the throw-up, I'll mail the stickers. It's a, it's a it's great a trade-off, yeah. I know. It's, it's, it's a win-win. It's, it is a win-win. Also, if you would like to buy my hostess here a coffee, she would greatly appreciate it. You can do so by going to the lower left-hand portion of your browser and clicking that little yellow coffee cup icon. You can buy our coffee. Any contribution is greatly appreciated. You can also leave us a message if you'd like on your bottom right-hand side of your browser. You'll see the icon to leave us a voicemail. You can also contact us through our normal phone number, which you can find on our contact page on our website. It would go straight to voicemail and you can leave us any message you want. And we'll even play it on air if you'd like. Also, if you'd like, we do have a Patreon and we do have extra episodes on there that are Patreon only. All you have to do is go to patreon.com forward slash scary savannah. And for as little as $3 a month, you can not only help support our podcast, but you can also get access to exclusive episodes only available through our Patreon site. Cryptids. Cryptids is currently the series. That word. You do. It's a pretty word (laughs) coming out of your mouth. But that just leaves us with the one last thing. Join us next time in Savannah, where the ghosts and the good times live on. But you know who don't? All them men that was drinking them 90 bottles of whiskey a year, I think. 150,000 proof liquor. I'm surprised he didn't just combust (laughs) spontaneously. Maybe that's what happened in Savannah. Yeah, this is all making sense. All right, I'm going to the fire department to check out the records. We're going to see what happens. (laughs) 